Hello, you're listening to the Black Mentors Podcast, where we ask, listen, learn, and invest in the knowledge and truths of black men from all socioeconomic backgrounds. We also advocate for positive images and narratives of black males in all forms of media. I'm your host, Rodney Harmon, and we are joined today by our guest, S.J. Hazin. I know what it is, your yep. boys in the house. All right, SJ. <laughs> SJ is CEO and founder of Project Forward, Top City, and Local Volunteer Opportunities. SJ also has a clothing line brand that he recently launched called Clad Astra. Clad Astra. Today we'll talk about why slash how giving back to your community through volunteerism will not only benefit the organization and the people you help, but you as well. Welcome, SJ. How you doing today? Man, it's good to be here, man. Everything is marvelous. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Project Forward and, and where'd you get the name from? Project Forward. Um, you know, I, I believe that the only way to move really is forward, you know, um, because if we're moving backwards, you know, we're, we're doing something. We're not doing something right. And uh, momentum, you know, forward momentum is a, is a big thing. So that word forward just kind of hit me and project came next. But I knew I wanted to do something that included volunteering because I know, uh, unfortunately, in the black community, it's not something that's always pushed, you know, especially maybe by our parents or different things. I didn't come up volunteering. You know, I used to always wonder why people volunteered. I'm like, because you ain't getting paid. Why are you doing it? You yeah. know, I, I didn't come up having a lot of community pride because I never cared for Topeka. I mean, I'm from Kansas City originally, and when we moved here, I wasn't happy yeah. um, about it. So it was just something as I got to seeing that there was a big need for volunteerism and, you know, uh, also community pride. I thought that something needed to happen. And um, so really, I just was like, you know what? If not now, when? If not me, who? So it was one of those things. I'm like, you know, I, I just want to try to launch something that's um, multicultural, um, launch something, and actually roll my sleeves up and be involved in it as well. If if there's a volunteer opportunity going, I'm not going to uh, recruit people to go volunteer and they don't see me there. Yeah, you know? I understand. Okay. With um, what you're saying about uh, volunteering in the black community and stuff, uh when I was young, uh, we used to go to a community center called East Lawn. Uh, well, Juan Abbott ran it, and he was heavily involved in um, volunteering. And Woody out of Boys and Girls Club was heavily involved in volunteering. But I think over the years, what didn't happen is when those community centers basically moved out of the east side, there was a lot less volunteering going on, and there was a lot less pushing of the volunteering going on in the in that community. So uh, I know now there's a lot of volunteering going on within the black churches that people really don't see the black men out there in the news media and stuff, but there is a lot of volunteering going on uh, within the black churches, okay? Uh, with the local volunteer opportunities, what all does that involve with you? I'm glad you asked that. Um, 
Well, one thing that, that happens with me is uh, I get a lot of inboxes and different things from people that I don't, I don't even know or organizations because apparently people will say, well, you know, he's got a volunteer database. He can get volunteers to us, but they'll hit me okay. last minute or something like that. So then I also get um, messages from people I know or get tagged and all kind of these volunteer things. So it's like, I was like, you know, I need to create something to where they don't just have to come ask me for this whole thing. So um, with my volunteer database I had, I just put that all into a group, all these names. And then I actually started hitting other people up who I knew were, you know, involved in community um, and things like that. So therefore created this platform to where if the mission needs some volunteers, this is the place that they can come and say their volunteer opportunity, what it is. And then it's a place where I put active volunteers to where they'll dig in. But the secret is being able to have your ask the right way. Because some people will say, okay, we need volunteers. But they won't say the date. They won't say the time. They won't say how long they need them. They won't say what they're needing. They won't explain it all the way. Yeah, and people need everything to be simple. Um, You almost got to hold people's hand sometime because people will post a link and say, oh, you you can find all the information here. People don't like clicking links <laughs> yeah. that are going to lead them to different stuff. So you got to kind of spoon feed them. So that's what this is. But people still need to learn how to do the correct ask. So um, I got all my volunteers uh, to help um, Total Fitness Body Zone uh, for their combine through that um, volunteer opportunities that I created. Okay, I Anthony put them, K out there. Anthony K, yep. Okay. So what I was was I said how many I needed, what time, what they would be doing, and everything like that. And blow, people just really dug into it. But there's been some people who have done some asks on there but haven't had, didn't really spoon feed it to the people. So it didn't come up, it didn't come over as well. As well. Right. Okay. All right. All right. Um why should anyone volunteer? Well, there's a lot of complaining that goes on about, you know, it's a it's a shame, you know, people are getting shot over here in this community or, you know, there's trash all over the ground or there's this or there's that or Topeka sucks or whatever else. Um, if When that's the case, if you want to improve something, you actually have to put some skin in the game okay. on it. I think volunteerism is a a form of selflessness, you know, and it's a way that you actually get to meet other people who have some of your like minds, you know. Uh, Also, I've seen there's been people who have found partnerships and and business relationships through volunteering. I've met a lot of people that I didn't know before through volunteering. And it also gets you get you out of your rut, you know, um. Say you got things going on. You know, a lot of people have a lot of things going on in their lives. But when you do a volunteer thing, your mind is not focused on you anymore. What happens is you're focused on completing this task. You're focused on holding the barricades down. Or you're focused on, you know, making sure nobody goes across this line. Or you're you're focused on passing candy out. Yes. or whatever. And when that happens, you're you're kind of you're in a different world. You're not in that same place to where you're thinking, you know, woe is me or this is, you know, this is going on in my life and I can't believe that this happened or whatever. You're you're in a different space. And sometimes you need to be in a different space. Yeah. Uh, helping 
other people out uh, gives you a different type of feeling about yourself, a feeling of accomplishment and stuff like that. Absolutely. And it looks and, you know, and you you um, you inspire others that you don't even know you're inspiring. Yes. You know, um, one of the last volunteer things I did was um, Miracle on Kansas Avenue. Okay. And it got cold out there, and that yeah. wind was unforgiving. <laughs> um, wind came so heavy, all my barricades off 10th and Jackson just blew. And people came out the blue and started helping pushing them back and everything like that. But as they were doing this 5K run, you know, I'm a fool, so I'm out here yelling, hey, come on, you know. And people got a, they really got a kick out of that. It gave them more energy to kind of pick up the pace and everything. And so it's encouragement as well. It's all how you how you do it, you know. It's coming out of your comfort zone. You exactly. Know? Okay. Explain what uh, the program or the event that you just talked about. What is that? Miracle on Kansas Avenue was um, it was the Christmas event that happened downtown. It's when they lit up the Christmas tree and everything like that. So you may as well say it's pretty much the Christmas parade. Okay. That happened. Greater Topeka Partnership put it on and everything like that. So um, what happened, I helped gather volunteers for that event as well. Um, kind of last minute, they were needing a little push on some stuff. So I put a Facebook post up, got an extra 20 volunteers within 12 hours. Um, and and that's, that's really been a cool thing, you know. Uh, for some reason, people tend to listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, and I think it's because I'm a doer. You know, when you're a yeah. doer and you're out here doing stuff and people know that you're a giver, you're a volunteer, it's easy to get volunteers. But if you're not one of those people who are actually doing it and you're just maybe you're corporate as far as and you're trying to get volunteers yeah. and people don't ever see you in the community, they're not going to be as willing to volunteer for you. So. Yeah. It's hard to get volunteers. Yeah. So basically what it comes down to, what you're trying to explain or what you're explaining in so many words is you're a leader, not just leading. You're a leader out there pushing and showing people that, hey, follow me. Leading by example. Exactly. exactly. You can't lead. I don't believe in leading from the rear. Um, you know, and the thing is, um, really, I, I've just kind of became the new face of volunteerism here in Topeka. That's kind of what it is, you know, okay. and, uh, and I accept that. And, and I'm cool with that. And I think that um, people need to see that. They need to see a, a a younger black man with tattoos and gold teeth in his mouth who people might label as like what you did yeah. with the black mentors. Exactly. Label as a thug if they yeah. see me. But I'm really out here. You know what I'm saying? I'm really out here. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, explain to some of our listeners or could you tell some of our listeners exactly what are you most scared of? You know, um, fear. I've uh, I put fear away a long time ago. Once I once I um, completely put myself into a position of of um, community. You know, um, I've I've seen I've seen just about it all. I've seen I've got mentors who've turned their back on me. Um, I've had friends who uh, talk bad about me. Um, I've had people judge me. Um, uh, and that used to be something that I was afraid of. You know, um, when when I say that, I've, I've had to leave a lot of friends in the background years ago for different stuff just because maybe criminality or maybe paths that they chose um, to be on. 
And I had to disassociate myself with some of that life because I've been involved in, 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 li- in a lifestyle that wasn't becoming. Okay. Um, and I've had to change some of those things. So that's always hard when you're walking away from friendships. But when you have people who you used to do stuff for and everything like that, and you start getting to a point of recognition, and then those people turn their backs on you, um, that that hurts, yeah. you know. Um, but I've I've been through that. I've had uh, people in the corporate world who feel a certain way of um, what I got going on, and I'm doing this volunteer thing and some other things to where um, I've heard different talk and everything else like that. That used to hurt me at one point too. Okay. Um, but right now, if there was a fear, it'd be losing my immediate family as far as my wife, my daughter, something like that. But as far as everything else, you know, it's all in God's hands. So whatever happens, everything happens in and on time. Um, So, and and we grow from the struggle. We grow from loss. You know, there's so many different losses I've suffered in my life. Uh, And one thing that everybody is, most people are afraid of change. Yeah. We don't like change. We're creatures of habit and everything like that. But change is where the real level up is. You know, um, mm-hmm. change is where you level up. And so I embrace it. So at this at this point in my life, um, you know, freedom is on the other side of fear. Yes. So I um I don't I'm, I'm not scared of anything. I'm not scared of death. Um, just I'm I'm prepared for whatever it is. Um, this journey, this journey of life, the hallway, you know, the hallway journey of life is what excites me. So everything's an adventure to me, even like coming here today. It's an adventure because it's the unknown and I embrace the unknown. Okay. All right. You brought up family and and the fact that uh, you said you would be scared to lose them. Uh, In three words, uh, describe your wife. Um, in three words, not describe her physically, describe what she means to you. Three syllables, my everything. Okay. I mean, um, she's okay. Here it is. She's my why. Okay. She's my why. Um, she changed my life. Um, I've, I've been to points in my life where, I didn't care about living and it showed in my lifestyle. I put my life on the line for ignorant stuff. Okay. Did a lot of things um, that I'm ashamed of, um, but I did them. Um, a lot of, a lot of things I never got caught for. I'd probably be in prison. Okay. Um, and, but it doesn't mean that I didn't do them. Uh, but when my wife came into my life, it showed me, I could do better because she believed in me more so than I believed in myself. So she believed in me more than I believed in myself. Um, I believe a good woman will make a man become a better man. Okay. Especially if it's a, if, if if that man embraces change um, and, and he's not being led by his peers, uh, down talking a relationship or something like that. Cause that happens a lot of times, you know, people don't think, uh, or, or, you know, you, um, you're doing all this for a woman or whatever, you know, you're supposed to be a man or whatever, 
Man, I tell you what, if it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be who I am at this point. She made me really dig in to myself because at the time when I met her, I was a you know, I used to rap for the world. You know, I mean I was doing shows with Lil Wayne before he had an album. You know, okay. I mean I've done shows with platinum artists. You know, I was on that road and the dude putting money behind me is back in prison now. And you know, while we were on the the, the road doing these different things, the only reason things changed is because he got raided and did 10 years flat. I was doing different things at that time, but but I changed my life around that time because the only time I wasn't at his house is when he got raided that month. And it opened my eyes to some okay. different things, and I didn't want my wife around that. So that's when I started changing my life and uh, to the trajectory of where I was headed. you okay. know. But at that time, I was just living a rapper's lifestyle didn't have a full-time job. I was making money from selling CDs and selling dope. Okay. So um so anyway, so different things, different things changed in my life at, at that point. Uh but it was the woman who made me she didn't make me, but I was inspired Fire to be to better because, you know, her. yeah. Okay. Strong strong woman. So basically you chose the fact that you chose that life. She didn't choose that life. No, she didn't. She didn't choose. So that basically, life. you chose. I mean, when that's when you realize that she didn't choose that life, and that wasn't her choice to be in there. You looked deeper inside yourself to change for her. You know, she, she saw something in me I didn't see in myself. Yes. You know, and I mean, at that time, I was just existing. You know, really living for my friends. Still, you know, deciding on what I'm gonna do from what the phone call was. You know, and. It was what it was. I was supposed to be a leader a long time ago, you yes. know. Um, but I chose to be a follower because it's just how I was living at the time, you know. Okay. Just was what it was. Um, but so I didn't, I didn't realize um, that my voice could be as powerful as it is. So um, there were just a lot of different things, you know. But you know, it's life in general. Yes. You learn different things. Okay. But my wife made me a better man. Okay. All right. Your wife made you a better man. Tell us what your daughter made you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my daughter taught me patience. Um, my daughter also, um, you know, um, just looking, just, you know, children in general, man. A, a child will a, a change you in a whole lot of different ways because, it's one thing to have a wife, but it's another thing to have a child. And then it's like, you know, if I don't take care of this child, who is? Yes. You know, there was a, another level of responsibility that my daughter uh, bought in for me. You know, uh, just sometimes you just want to put a fence around your child. You know, you can't do that, though. So um, another level of teaching. You know, being able to explain, trying to explain di different things really clearly so they can get it and everything like that. But um, it's like, I got to be here, you know, um, and to be here for your child means you've got to make better decisions yes. and everything. I used to be an alcoholic. Um, okay. I used to drink. There's probably a six or seven year period where every day I was probably inebriated you know i could drink nine nine forty ounces in a day you know and i would start before the liquor store opened i'd 
if I didn't have any, I'd be at the liquor store like, man, they ain't here yet. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Okay. And then I'd be there before they're about to close. So I'd have whatever. But whether I could drink a 30-pack myself, um, I could, you know, drink. If I was going to drink nine forty ounces, it was going to go down like that. Malt liquor, of course. And, you know, I, I used to I used to smoke constantly. You know, it wasn't a thing for me to probably smoke a half ounce in a day, you know, on a regular basis. Um, but that stuff just didn't do the same thing for me as I grew out of it. Cause, and it was a blessing because some people never make it out no, from, exactly. from doing those top activities. But that was a regular thing for me. Everybody I was around, even if I was trying to stop smoking, people I was around had it. So it was like every time I tried to stop, I'm like, I'm trying yeah. to stop. It just showed up. Okay. You, know, yeah, you just, almost got to leave that community that, <laughs> that where you're at. Right. You know, leave those friends. And like you said earlier, where you said that as you start growing out of there in your earlier conversation, you start losing friends. Right. It's true. Because those friends didn't want to change. Right. Those friends didn't see don't change. And, and, and you run into that often throughout uh, your life and throughout your journey is uh, – as I told my boys when I was raising them is the fact that you're really only going to have one or two true best friends in life. And the other ones are just going to be there. You know, they're just going to be hanging out, trying to see what you could do for them. And if you can't produce for them, they don't need you around, you know? Yeah. And it's funny that you said that. I mean, I'll, I'll share this because, um, I lost two of my best friends okay. uh, to a double murder suicide, and and this is a part that I've never shared um, because I hold I hold a lot of uh, guilt still um, for what I'm about to tell you. Um, so two people who are in my wedding party, uh, and I'll say their names: uh, Howard Givens and um, Antoine Brown. Um, so Antoine murdered Howard. And he murdered his uh, his baby mama, Antoine's baby mama, uh, Shauna Solis. Um, basically, this was uh, this was this when everybody called him TT. So this was okay. T's baby mama. But apparently, um, they weren't together anymore. And apparently, I you know Howard and Shauna had something going on, whatever. Um, so and when he when he when he when he murdered him. Um, his kids was in the house. Both his daughters were in the house when he did this. Um, but that week prior, um, I was on the phone with TT and we were talking and I had some stuff I was dealing with because I had murder on my mind for somebody who wronged me. And I'm still in therapy for some of this stuff. Okay. Um, and he was asking me a question. He says, so if you were to, if you was to murder this person, you know, uh, don't you feel that you would go to hell? I said, no, I actually feel like I'll be protecting the world if I get rid of this person. And okay. and it sparked in his mind. He was like, wow. He said, you really feel like that? I said, yeah, I really feel like that right now. So I hold guilt for him murdering um, my best friend. The way he interpreted. The way he interpreted my statement. Okay. Because... Um, you know, there's, you know, vengeance is the Lord's, right? Yes. So I'm just having a conversation with one of my best friends about how I felt about some stuff I entrusted him with because I had a situation that I'm dealing with 
um, with somebody who really, 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 really wronged me in a way to where it wasn't just he wronged me. It was it was family. It's deep, deep. Yes. Okay. That I haven't let this out yet. People don't know about this. Um, so anyway, from me making that statement to him a week later, he murdered my best friend and his baby mama because apparently he felt he was protecting the world on something. And that's how, so when it happened, that conversation came back up to where it sparked his mind on something. And I feel guilt for that. Okay. All right. There was questions I was going to ask and I kind of lost it there. I mean, I don't know what is it's, it's some stuff that you say and you feel everybody's going to interpret words different. Everybody's going to interpret what you say different. Power Every, suggestion. Exactly. Everybody's going to even interpret us explaining this different. Right. You know, so I don't know him personally. And I mean, I don't even know what the situation was, but everybody has to deal with stuff in their own way and everybody deals with it in their own way, right or wrong. However we want to look at it. Um, like you said, there's several, you were in a situation where you were thought about taking somebody out. And I mean, taking still somebody think out. About okay. It. Still think. So about I'll, it. I'll say this. Um, but I don't think about it how I thought about it before. And when okay. I say that, I wouldn't do it. Murder is off the table for me. And this is why. I saw what happened when murder was on the table. And the two people who were in my wedding party are no longer here anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't have... My relationships are long relationships I have with people if it's close. I don't have many close relationships like that. Um, so when this happened, I was pissed at everybody. You know, I got this phone call um, from Lori Valdivia. Got this phone call while I'm at my daughter's volleyball game. She called called my wife. She had my wife's number. My wife come and give me this news and I'm just sitting here like this makes no sense to me, right? And I'm seeing the aftermath because I know the children involved. There's children involved yeah. in this whole thing. And see, and I'm that guy at one point, murder was on the table for me. Even if my wife, if say I walked in and my wife is cheating on me. I used to play it in my mind. If it happened, boom, boom, both of them dead. That's, 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 that was my mind state. Yes. But after this happened and he did that and it was like that same scenario and he, but it wasn't the same scenario because yeah. it's not like he walked in and they were doing anything. Yeah. Just in a house, you know? Um, but I used to be like, oh, if I walk in and these and, you know, my wife and, and some man are having sex, I'm killing them both. That was my mind state. Um, and a lot of people, you know, who, uh, who've been involved in, you know, even if they haven't been involved in the street life or whatever, you know, uh, some man's rib, you know yeah. what I'm saying? You know, you, it's like you eating my rib, you know what I'm saying? Off my mm -hmm. plate, whatever. But it's like. I murder was on the table for me. But after this, after what happened with T and Howard and Shauna, and I had these three funerals within a two week period and everything. And I see the aftermath of everything. If my wife don't want to be with me, I'm letting her go. 
I, I don't care if I walk in on something. I don't care what it is. Me and my wife have talked. If you don't want to be with me anymore, you let know, you let's, know early, but let me, you know, still, but even yeah. if, even if, yes, even if, if comes down to that. I'm not going to deprive my daughter of her, of her mother. I'm not going to deprive my mother and father-in-law of their daughter or my sisters of their sister-in-law over me um, being jealous or not being able to handle she doesn't want to be in a relationship with me anymore. Murder should not be on the table for anybody. Um, and this is coming from somebody who... I even wrote a song, Murder on My Mind. You know what I'm saying? As far as when a situation happened in my life and I felt that this should never happen to anybody, ever. Um, so, yeah, but after this situation happened, murder's off the table for me. Okay. All right. Well, um, in that same situation, not in the... The next question was going to be, where does religion and spirituality play in your life then? You know, um, I had a supernatural experience in 1997, August 25th. Um, and, you know, I was I was born in FOI Islam. So I was born in FOI Islam. Explain to people what FOI means. Fruits of Islam. Um, it's, it was the like the militant branch of uh of um, nation of the nation of Islam. Um, so basically, you know, my dad was born in 1944, um, experienced a whole lot of different things, you know, um, they still had colored water fountains and all these other things. Uh, black people were treated really bad and he saw a lot of it. Um, and you know, um, my family in Kansas city is all gang related, you know, um, my uncle, my uncle's a hitman. Um, you know, he killed his wife. Uh, my dad didn't want us growing up in that environment, so moved us uh, here to Topeka. You know, I was five okay. years old when that happened. But, um, but, but basically, throughout you know me being raised Islamic and different things. Once my dad went on Hajj, um, he saw a lot of different colors of people praising Allah. So he started raising us Orthodox Islam to where it wasn't like we saw color or anything like that or would discriminate on somebody because they were white or whatever. But, you know, that happens in FOI Islam and everything. If you're not if you're not black, you can't help with the cause. That's just how it is with an FOI Islam. But FOI doesn't even exist anymore. Okay. Um, but anyway, throughout time, um, I became a non-believer. Because I wasn't raised to have any, I, I never read a page of the Bible or anything like that. But I became a non-believer uh, and just got involved in, you know, different activities I probably shouldn't have been involved in. And I was pretty blasphemous about, you know, even, you know, Jesus and whatever else. I could clear a room the way that I'd say some stuff. Spirituality, I, didn't, I wasn't spiritual at all. But I had this experience where I felt a presence come inside of me and it knew everything about me at this point when it happened I actually fell down the steps because I couldn't move and I was so scared I was crying and I had um uh, I, I was like you know what is this because it knew everything about me it's like my files were downloaded as okay. far as like everything it knew everything it knew everything yeah. about me 
I knew nothing about it yeah. except that it was way beyond you. me. Way beyond me. So in my mind, I couldn't talk. It was like a telepathic thing. I'm like, what is this? And then the telepathic form said, I am the living God. And I was just, I felt like a holy terror. I felt dirty. I felt all kind of stuff like, wow, this is crazy. Um, so I started doing a lot of research, you know, um, just for years. You know, I, I learned the study of colors. I learned numerology, astrology. Um, you know, I just, I got, I got into astronomy. I got into all kinds of chakras. I was in the chakras way before yoga and that other type of stuff was popular over here. We're talking back in 97. Um, so I learned a lot, you know, looked into self-realization, all these different things, the mystical experience. And once I got into the mystical experience to kind of explain some stuff, because the way that was explained is what happened to me. But as I got to reading the Bible and different things like that, um, the, the what happened to me it was like an explanation of the Holy Spirit, um, because it's like these bodies house the Holy Spirit. So the best explanation for me of what happened was I had a Holy Ghost experience and it was amazing. So that's where my trajectory changed on a spiritual path and everything like that. So, yeah, that happened because if that wouldn't have happened, I'd probably still be a non-believer because there was people witness to me all the time and it just didn't matter. But until that happened, until a real uh, experience happened, it just was what it was. It was just all lip service. Okay. You know. So, um, you're a nation of Islam. And you said when your dad went to... Um, one of the five pillars of Islam okay. is taking Hajj. Hajj. Hajj is when you go to Saudi Arabia, you know, city of Mecca, walk around the Kaaba. And everything like that. There's a few different things that it involves. But once okay. he did that, he saw all these, you know, Pakistanian people, white people. I mean, just like just, Malcolm X, just like just okay. like Malcolm X's experience. Exactly. That's the best way I can explain it. Just like his experience. OK. And then when did you leave the nation of Islam? Well, you know, I mean, I, I used to do Ramadan. I, okay. I grew up in an Islamic household, um, you know, didn't eat pork, you know, couldn't eat pork, would have ate pork. Would have loved to, eat. yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't allowed. Yeah, you know, so you know, in, in Ramadan, boy, you know, thirty days, you can only eat before the sun comes up and drink before the sun comes up, and you can only eat and drink when the sun goes down. So I used to work construction, you know. So I mean, I'd be out in, in the heat, and I would be doing this as a kid, you know. I mean, so one thing I can't thank my dad for. I can thank my dad for a lot of things. I mean, he's um he raised me. He great man. Um, and he always told us eventually we would have to decide Make what God we were going to serve. Yeah. So I love him for that. But it's another reason why we're so disciplined. You know, my, my, my dad and my mother, you know, God bless her soul. Um, you know, they, they, I mean, he was always there. Eight kids. He was always there. Yeah. I mean, and that, that played a big part in my life. Cause I know a lot of people who didn't have fathers in their lives. That, you know, I always had mine. It's another reason why I never fell victim to, to being into a gang. You know, all my friends started joining gangs, you know, because when that stuff started happening, you know, in the, the late 80s and everything like that, a lot of my friends were joining them. But I was more afraid of my dad. Yeah, before the gang. Okay. Right. So what made you 
transfer from a disciplined household to becoming a man and going into the lifestyle that you said that you explained earlier? What um, was the? It was, uh, you know, I'll say this. I was, um, I was intrigued with street life. Okay. All my all my cousins and everything, you know. Um, you used to go back and visit them in Kansas. Well, City, yeah, or? I mean, you know, they. I I would, you know, sometimes I'd be up there because my um, uh, my um, my cousin was in a group called Mass One Eight Seven. Now okay. Mass One Eight Seven, there was a rap group who got signed to Lil Troy out of Texas way back. You know, this was this was probably this was early nineties, probably like ninety ninety one ninety two. Um, Real Truths paying dues. Um, and at different times, I'd be up there, but you know, they's all they all crips um, okay. and everything like that. But I've known I've known this for years, and at different times, I wish that I was up there so I could be involved in some different stuff than my friends here. Where you know, I mean, you've had a lot of people who was some of my best friends, four corner hustlers or crips or GDs or things like that. But I wasn't involved in that lifestyle, but it looked fun. There was a lot of different stuff, you know people getting money, all kind of different stuff like that. You know, all my brothers and stuff were athletes. I was an athlete. But um I was the I was the Hazim that that did a lot of things that the other ones didn't do. Um and so I I was intrigued with with the streets and stuff like that, you know, so I uh I got involved in it and everything like that and did different things. Um and yeah, so that was that was one of the things. It was just a, a curiosity, uh, different stuff. Everybody was doing it. I fell victim to peer pressure, also trying to belong, and trying to prove myself. You know, I think a lot of times we try to prove ourselves on yeah. different things, like how far we might take some things. And I remember when I when I got involved in doing stuff, it's like I knew I was going to, have to take things real far because. Um, in order for people to have this trust in me, yeah. I was going to have to be willing to pretty much do whatever. And I remember when I told myself I was going to be willing to do just about anything. Okay. And, um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So what did your dad think about that? Didn't like it at all. <laughs> Were I you mean, out the house then? Or? Um, well, there were th different things that happened while I was in the house and things that happened while I was out of the house. And then there was things that happened to get me kicked out the house. So I mean, there was yes. there was different. There was just a whole lot of different levels, of different stuff that happened. There was really different levels of even me disrespecting the house, um, and stuff like that. So, um, no, he wasn't with it at all, you know. And and truthfully, there was things that I was ashamed of that that I did. I was raised much better, yes, than that. But. It doesn't really matter how you're raised sometimes. Uh, you know, like, you know, my dad was an imam, so it's like a preacher's son type of yeah. thing. Sometimes those are the worst people in the world mm -hmm. because we're trying to prove that we're not this, we're not that, you know, yeah. and that's one of the worst things that somebody can say. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, your dad is this, you know, you might, you know, you ain't about to do this. So, well, yeah. Watch. And you're trying you to know, prove trying different. To, trying yeah. to prove different. Trying to create your own identity. Outside right. the family. I had an identity crisis, you yes. know, really my whole life on different things, you know. Um, not to mention, you know, even just how I grew up, I had a speech impediment really bad, you know, from um, kindergarten to like the third grade. Um, took me a long time to learn how to read and everything else like that. Um, you know, four brothers, three sisters, grandma living with us. Um, so one bathroom with all that is like... Um, it just got, it was to the point to where um, 
I just, I didn't feel, I kind of always felt like a black sheep. You're the, the youngest? Family. Yeah, I'm the youngest okay. boy. I got okay, a little sister. But, all right. Um, as far as all the boys, and I was real, real small. Mm-hmm. So I think I had a Napoleon complex as well. I mean, my freshman year, I was five foot, 100 pounds. Okay. I didn't really start growing in my sophomore year and was still little. But so you could just imagine as I was real small and everything like that. But things kind of things kind of changed for me um, from hip hop. Once I saw Planet Rock, I was about seven years old. Um, inspiration struck me. And I got to learning how to do this. My older brother, Sharif, you know, he was a. Uh, he high jumped seven two in like three quarters yeah. back in eighty three. So he was traveling all over the country. So he learned how to break dance from being in New York and places. So when he taught me, that brought a real confidence to me. I taught my best friend. We started winning break dance contests and everything like that. And that got me that did something for my confidence. Okay. Um, I know hip hop gets a bad rap a lot of times, no pun intended. But that's what kind of helped change my life and everything. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I still, I'm involved in it today and to the rapping field. But that's also a way that I feel like I connect with God and stuff like that because I'm able to bring the inside out. And I, I feel it's impossible to heal if you won't be real. So writing is an outlet for me. Okay. Um, my the pad is my confidant. I put everything into it. Okay. All right. Take us back to when you're about 18 years old or and what would you tell him about failure and success? I would say and and I've heard this. I mean, I, and I've got to use this statement cuz I heard somebody say it. It may have been Will Smith. He said fail early. Like try things because um, Thomas Edison also said, you know, uh, first, like first thousand times he tried to create this light bulb, it didn't work. And he didn't look at it as failures. He looked at it as I figured out a thousand ways that this doesn't work. Yes. <laughs> um, and I would say, you know, focus. I would tell myself to focus on myself, you know, um, to become a better leader. Um, take chances, you know, because if if you don't take chances, then you won't know what you're capable of. You know, um, I've failed at a lot of things in life. Um, but through that, I also learned acceptance, you know, and I've had to learn to accept myself, you know, and a lot of times people don't accept themselves. They're so hard on themselves or comparisons are the thief of joy. We yes. get to comparing ourselves to a Rodney Harmon, uh, comparing ourselves to, you know, uh, people on Del social Mar media. White, yeah. You know what I'm saying? A, a social CD media. Hicks, yeah. Social media where we only present our best selves and everything like that. And we got to stay away from that. You know, um, there is no competition. You know, uh, the only competition is becoming a better you. There are no contenders. When you're in the ring, you're in the ring by yourself, for yourself, to better yourself. So that's what I would that's what I would tell myself, you know, to um don't worry about the crowd. You know, don't worry about trying to compete with the Joneses or K 
keep up with these people or being fooled on what you see in, on TV or hearing the rap songs or anything else like that. Uh, just try to become a better you. Try to become a better person. Try to become more patient. Um, try to become more educated in whatever field you're looking at. It doesn't mean you have to go to college. It just means you need to actually do some research on yes. some, some different things and, and find your passion. You know, and, and one tip that I would give, um, the, your passion doesn't always mean something that makes you happy. It could be something that makes you upset. When you find something that makes you upset or gets you riled up, your purpose could be within that somehow. Yes, you correcting know? it and, and getting it right. That basically, basically what I what got me in law enforcement uh, was the fact that my cousin used to get beat up all the time. Willie B. Williams, uh, we used to see him get beat up by the police all the time, and I didn't hate the police. What it did, it, it made me want to be a policeman to make a change. It made me want to go out there and, and prove to the other young black kids and, and other kids around that seen this happen to prove to them that there are good people that could be in uniform. And um, so I joined the military and went in, you know, MP corrections and then Got out was a local cop in Leavenworth for a little less than a year, and then went back into federal corrections. But like you said, it was my passion came from a disgust of the policeman that beat up my cousin. Not all policemen, but the policeman that beat up my cousin is what made me want to go into law enforcement. Oh, that's a. Uh, it's it's really cool how all that just kind of played out. As far as um, just uh, a a lot of times, I think people need to know how to find their passion. You know, it, it brings me back to I have a creativity model. Yes. And um, so and it's four steps. It's shaped like a baseball diamond, and the reason it's shaped in a diamond because it's been tried. You know, under pressure. Um. So you got. You got inspiration, you got motivation, you got creation, and you got connection. So connection is like, uh, so basically, I'll, inspiration, uh, motivation, creation, and connection. So a quick example, like Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was inspired by injustice, which motivated him to create the I Have a Dream speech, which connected with the whole world which inspired the whole world. So it goes right back into that same circle. Yes. A man can be inspired by a young woman's beauty, which motivates him to create dialogue to see if he connects. Um, if he connects, he's inspired. If he doesn't connect, he's inspired to go back yeah. and be motivated <laughs> exactly. to create better dialogue to okay. see if he connects. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that creativity model can be used for just about, for anything that you're involved in. It's like when I was inspired by Planet Rock, seeing the break dancing, it motivated me to create dance moves and then do it to see if it connected with people. If it did, I was inspired to go back and create more and do more. So, um, but then you can look at it like this too, because some people can be inspired and do nothing. Yes. Because motivation is when you move 
And so you can be inspired and do nothing, or you can be inspired and motivated, but never create anything. So you become a hamster in the wheel. Yeah. Just, you know, just constantly running. (laughs) But if you can also be inspired, motivated and create all kinds of stuff, but never connect, never release. So you become a hoarder with somebody who has wrote 80 books, but has never connected or released any of it. Yes. So the magic is in the connection. And if you feel that you're not creative, say you're not inspired, motivated to create anything, you might have connections to people who are inspired or anything like that. So you can connect different people. So this whole model is for anybody, for anything, you know, because, you know, uh, this phone that I have, if I don't have a carrier, it's not connected to anything. So it's useless. So at the end of the day, we all long to connect. That's what it's all about. Connection. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, with you being a creative person, I'm not going to say a rapper because the tendency people, stereotypes, stereotypes, labels, what, what I, you know, no, I'm saying, yeah. nah, I mean, yeah, you know what I mean. So basically <laughs> with you, uh, being so creative and, uh, let our listeners hear some of the stuff that you might have. Well, you know what? All right. Tie your squill, still pops off. There's shots coming. Glock's busting, leaving the block and it drops something. Whole block running, they know when the cops coming. First 48 for the Jakes, the clock's running. No snitching, won't turn over, they not budging. They know them killers dip with a stick, never missing a day. Fully modified, clipping the cake. The big bully if you get in the way. They on the block like gritting for pay. In the kitchen with their palms itching. Raw chickens cooking coke, flipping the yay. Hitting corners in the Chevrolet. Dirty D's for cheese on dirty blocks, the American way. One time hitting the block and double time thugs ditching they rock. Three time felons hitting the gas and four way stop signs they smashing. Ghetto athletes dipping and dashing and what not. Catch a buck, 50 a buck shot. No rabbit foot, this where your luck stop. Reality jack. Block episodes, we know when they must stop. Around the way, girl caught a stray at the bus stop. Seen her life fade, lay dead on the street curb. Now she resurrected by a tat and a t shirt. And it's a long road. These hard years ain't over yet. Married couples getting divorced, over debt, losing life savings and homes, over bets. SRS taking your kids over neglect. And you can get murdered today over a text by somebody jealous who felt you overstepped. People rob their own family over a check or road rage. You may get shot over a wreck or over complexion of skin by policemen. They serve and protect, but do protect us. Who gon' police them? The media paints men guilty or innocent before proving guilty or innocent. So in a sense, the media is the judge and jury and is guilty for taking our innocence. Okay. Good job. What's the name of that? Well, really, sometimes that's how I start out if I'm about to be talking to the youth, if they're like okay. uh, in a middle school type age or if I'm at a like a correctional facility type place, whatever, where I've you know, done periods of instruction at. Just to kind of grab their attention on, talk about kind of like a drive-by street scene going wrong, hitting the wrong target, talking about how some things happen in the household, how people get divorced over different things, lose their kids over different stuff. I just wanted to really paint a scene. I'm all about 
like scene for scene type stuff where you can picture it all like a brick in the wall, you know? Okay. Um, so I think it's important details, you know, the details are very important in hip hop. You know, if I was to give anybody pointers, you know, you want to be able to describe real descriptively and everything so people can see it and then therefore it resonates okay. more. So that's just one, that's one thing that, that's one of the raps I like to always spit so people can kind of see it and see, you know, the type of time I put into it, you know, the type of thought that goes into yeah, it. Going you know, to it, rap. It doesn't take me long to write yeah. or anything like that. And there's a lot of rappers who say they don't write. They just recite off the head. That's fine. But I, 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 uh, I uh, I still use the old science on stuff because I want to really want to put my work in, you know. You um, want to put more of a message in I wanna, it than just you know. I mean, I can I can do the whole freestyle, freestyle thing, rap, and yeah. I can do you know as far as sometimes if I don't have if I don't have time to grab the pen because I'm at work or whatever, I'll memorize like four bars a piece and then. I'll get to the point where I write it down. Then I go back and I'll memorize another four bars because I'll craft it in my head. You know, it's the same way a lot of uh, people, that's, been, that's how Jay-Z does it. He crafts it in his head and then he'll put it down or whatever or just memorize the whole thing. I mean, I've been able to memorize the whole 16 before I write it down. It's just an exercise. But I love getting the pad and the pen and actually being able to write. But first, it does happen in the mind first. And then it goes down to the draft. So it's um it's definitely a lyrical exercise and everything like that. But I believe anything worth doing, worth recording, is worth writing. Okay. With you being able to do that, it kind of takes you away from when you said you were young and that you, you stuttered. I mean, oh, it, man, it's, it's, crazy, it's a kind of uh, <laughs> inspirational to see that you could come that far and to show these kids that even though the labels that they get put on them in school does not resonate into the rest of their life. I think God gets all the glory for, for those things. Just like you look at uh, the story of um, uh, Moses. Um, he stuttered. He was, you know, he had a speech impediment yes. and everything like that. And, you know, that's why he didn't want to go talk to Pharaoh and everything. He's like, I'm not well-spoken, you know. But got to put the right things on you in, in, in due time. Um, so it is pretty amazing. The thing is, what's crazy is this was a memory that I buried. You know, I did the truth and comedy a couple of months ago. And what came Explain from that, what that is before. Truth and comedy, there's a guy named Byron Stamps. Okay. And I'm actually about to make the theme song for it. We're going to be shooting a video for it this week. But so what it is, is they're storytellers. And then there's comedians, and then there's an artist. Okay. So what happens is you uh, decide what story you want to talk about your life, and you got 10 minutes. So there was different things I got to talking about. First time I wrote the draft on it, I talked about three different stories that didn't even really all go together. Okay. And and Byron was so cool on how to, how to help me. He's like, bro, you've got like three stories in here, and... You can do anything you want from these. He's like, and then he pointed out different things that really grabbed his attention and everything like that. So then from there, I said, you know, I'm going to talk about early childhood um, and some different stuff like that. So, but me thinking about early childhood, um, I forgot that I was in a special speech class. Not forgot. I think I buried that memory. Okay. And 
as I got to thinking back, I'm like, wow, you know, and it was another buried memory. The reason I, I shared that about today, about the conversation I had with T uh, when I talked about if I killed this person, I'd be saving the world from him. Yes. You know, I buried that memory. Um, and I think sometimes our minds, our minds are such of a, a, a crazy place. You know, um, the mind is all about just survival of yes. different things. And sometimes if there's a memory that's not going to do help you, you can bury it until you rediscover it. So I just rediscovered that I had this speech impediment, um, how shy I used to be early on just because, um, and I think the reason I, I think the reason I was shy because my thoughts ran really deep and I didn't think anybody would understand it. Mm -hmm. I also, I also always had protectors around me and I didn't realize that either, but what it was, you know, um, I was so small. There was people who tried to pick on me at different times. Right. But I don't think they realized I have four older brothers at the house and I got beat up all the time. Yeah. So I wasn't afraid to get beat up. I just didn't want attention bought to me. Yeah. So I was, you know, I always kept a smile on my face, you know, try to just stay out the way. But when somebody actually came and did something, I reacted ferociously. Yeah. So when that happened, like bigger people who was around me, like, oh, this dude got heart. So they had me at that point. But it's one of those things to where if I never did that, if I never bucked up, then nobody would have had me. It would have just been like, oh, he's got to get some heart or whatever. But I didn't realize that till I got older. And I saw that um, people always admired not the fight and the dog, not the dog and the fight, fight but the, the fight, fight and the and dog. dog. Yeah. So I've always just had people around me who always had me. And I think it was because I always, you know, I always had heart, you know. Yeah. But it was because I had to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> My dad was a boxer and he always had me, you know, us, us, us boys boxing each Fight, other and boxing. everything. And yeah. I was always getting beat up by all my bigger brothers. So I got used to getting hit in my head and all these other type of things, but it wasn't like I really liked fighting. But, um, when people would try to pick on me, they found out that I can't even pick on this dog, this guy, he's really yeah. small, but he'll go. Yeah. He'll go. So. <laughs> all right. All right. Now, uh, I'm going to take you back to the middle of our conversation where you're talking about your mother and your grandmother. And oh man, <laughs> can you talk I, to us about losing a loved one? And, and a lot of our listeners, I know I personally haven't lost a loved one this, that close. Well, I, I did my grandmother way back uh, in probably 82 but uh, I've been fortunate enough to still have my mother, you know. But I did lose my grandmother back about 82, 81, 82. Uh, could you explain to us what what you as a child go through and, and how that resonate into what you as an adult still think about? Well, going all the way back. Um, now, at that time... Uh, this was, this was shortly after we had moved from Kansas City. So um, living in a three-bedroom house, um, probably about 800 square feet. Um, my parents in one room, three sisters in another room, grandma in one room, us five boys in a garage. So 
every time when I woke up in the morning, first thing I do is go wake my grandma up. My grandma okay. was my best friend. Um, talk to her more than I talk to my brothers. Um, and I wake her. So I, as soon as I walk in the room, I wake her up like, Grandma, will you fix me some cocoa? It's Nestle's quick. Okay. I always had the bunny on it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and, and some, and you know, they, sometimes it didn't have the bunny on it, but either yeah. way, it was, <laughs> it was, still it was all good. Quick. So she would wake up. She always <laughs> smelled like oil of Olay. Okay. Um, I mean, always smelled like oil of Olay. She'd get up, she wouldn't fuss or anything and she'd make it for me. We'd sit at the table and I'd tell her all my thoughts and everything, you know ambitions whatever it was i just it's, i was it was so easy to talk to her and everything like that that was my daily routine you know it's my daily routine and look forward to it wake up and no matter how early i woke up i wake her up yeah what age and was this right it probably was probably everywhere from um uh probably as 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 long as i can remember okay you know so I would say from four years old to, or maybe three years old to five, whatever, until, you know, she was gone. Just as early as I can remember. Um, So when we get, when she passed away, it kind of happened sudden. You know, I don't remember her being sick or anything like that. But it was just one day I came back uh, from being at the park playing, you know, um, apparently my my foot got hurt because um, one of those tunnels came off of the the little slab, and apparently it rolled over my toe or something. So um, coincidentally, my my grandma's foot swole up as well. Okay. And so she was in the hospital, and she never came home from the hospital. So when that news happened, I just remember my mom coming back to the house, and I saw her crying. Never saw her cry before. Okay. Saw her crying. And then we got the news that grandma passed away. And because I had thoughts of suicide. I didn't want to live. Okay. But I didn't know how to commit suicide. I didn't even know suicide was a word, but yes. I didn't want to live. Um, so it, that hurt me like really, really deeply. Um, so that was my first experience with death, you know. Okay. Now my mom, she passed away. 913, that used to be our area code, September 13th of 2010. Now, um, no no, no pre-warning. She wasn't sick. She died from a heart attack, you okay. know. Um, she was in Guthrie, Oklahoma. My dad is an inspector for HUD as well. So they would um, they travel and do these inspections. So apparently she wasn't feeling well, didn't go with him for the inspection. She stayed in the hotel. So when he came back, he couldn't get in the room, and he's knocking and everything. He couldn't get in the room, so he went and got the the people to open the door. And when he walked in, he saw her dead in the bathtub. You know, mm-hmm. so I can't imagine. You know, because they've been together since he was sixteen, yes. pretty much. Um, so when I got that call, it was Kareem that called me. My whole world stopped. And what I found, you know, there's a few different instances in my life where pain hits you, I always feel it in the same spot in my soul. It's just, it's a very recognizable place now when yeah. I feel it and it hurts. And 
I was like in suspended animation when I got the call and that happened. I just screamed, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was, um, horrible. It's horrible. Okay. All right. And I only say that because, um, I think we as black men, one of the reasons why I started this podcast is so we understand that we can't have emotion. We can't show emotion, but that doesn't take away from us being men. What takes away from us being men, I think, and it's just my opinion, is us holding it in and taking it out on someone that doesn't deserve it. I agree completely with that. You know, the bent up energy that we keep inside of us as men, period. And I would say as a black man, because I am a black man, not to say that no other race feels what we do. But as a black man, I I tend to think that we get labeled as tough. We get would get these all these outside labels on us that we try to live up to. And so when someone passes in our family or when something hurts us, we hold it in for such a long time that we end up letting it explode in ways that we could never get it back. It's, it's so true. I'm, I'm glad you, you said that. I've uh, People are afraid to be vulnerable. Yes. They're, they're afraid that people are going to look at them a certain way. Uh, the people who... You know, act, act like they want to beat their chest and act like nothing hurts them and all this other type of stuff. Um, those are the weakest people. Yeah. You know, I mean, truthfully, we've been lied to. They've been lying to us for years, you know, about, you know, oh, you've got to be like this. Don't ever shed a tear. Don't, yes. don't do that. There's so much power in shedding tears. You know, I mean, like through my writing, some of the songs that I wrote and everything like that, I cry when I'm writing this. Like, um, Mama loved me. She was lovely. She's still with me. She hovers above me. You know, I mean, I said uh, a song about my mama. I ain't, I ain't make that yet. I ain't really grieved yet. I ain't take that step. But Mama loved me. She was lovely. That lyric made me cry. But it's true. Yes. You know, um, and... I love being in the space of creating because time and space doesn't exist to me when I get there. And and it's a magical place. And um I don't have a, you know, if 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 the spirit has me cry or whatever, then that's just what it is. You yes. know, um but if if somebody's trying to save face and just try to be like, you know, I'm I'm this, I'm that, I'm strong, I'm whatever. You know, um, there's a reason we have tear ducts. There's a reason, you know, and I and I owe it to my mama to cry over her. Yeah. I owe it to my grandma to cry over her. I owe it to my best friends and, and to cry over them. You yeah. know, um, because there's 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 power in it. You know, um, a good cry can do something for you. You know, um, so. Uh, Anybody who's out here just trying to, you know, say whatever or do whatever or, you know, a discipline their their boy for crying or anything like that, man, change that cycle, man. Yeah, change that cycle. Change that narrative. 
change that because let me tell you, I did 22 and a half years working federal corrections. And you wouldn't believe how many men cry. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many men cry. And it's not so much that they just crying because they want to be out. And it's not so much that they crying because they want, they feel that they're not guilty. There's phone calls that come in there to these men, you know, of their mother passing, of their son passing, daughter passing, wife passing, you know, that they would love to get back out here. Right. And yeah, and they screwed up and, and everybody makes mistakes. Like you said earlier, there's there's times where people make mistakes. Some people get caught, some people don't, you know. But one thing we can do and one thing we should do, like you said, is tell our sons that they could cry. Let them understand that they're they need to release that all that emotion, all that built up tension in them. Before they release it on someone else. All right, we have emotions for a reason. You know, we have emotions for a reason. And, um, you know, that's that's one thing. We uh, A lot of times, you know, we want to, people want to override their spiritual conscience. And that's where a lot of the mistakes happen. Or, you know, and, and everybody's just one decision away from ending up in prison, killing somebody, or, or being killed, you know. Yeah. And so um, we got to make better decisions on different stuff, though. I always say um, I over E, intellect over emotions. Yes. Because a lot of times we'll make a decision over a temporary emotion or, or thought. And then you might kill somebody. You're not still going to be mad five years later. No. You're not going to still be mad maybe even a month later. You know? So uh, we really got to think before you pick up a pistol or something. I mean, you know, uh, pistols were created for hunting men. You know, yes. I mean, to to make it simpler to kill men, you know, and, and we're using we're using those things. We think it's for protection. We think there's power in it and everything else. But you've been tricked. Yeah. You've been fooled. Mm -hmm. And these young men need to understand that concept that there's so many young men out here making these decisions. And especially around here in the Topeka area lately that are really all over the world, especially, in you know, you see it in Chicago, too that uh, when they come to prison, they really, or actually when they go down to the police department, the younger ones, they really do think that mom and dad could come and sign them out and that they're going back home and, and everything's going to be all right. It's almost like playing a video game that they think that they done took this life and the next day he might be back and they might be at home. Man, it's it's crazy. I was just thinking, you know, sometimes people be like, you know, you risked everything. And when you think about, you know, you, you're risking everything. People don't understand your life is everything. You yes. know, it's your life. You were in this body. Your consciousness is in this body of yours. If your body is locked up, everything for you is locked up. Um, so a lot of times we don't care about our lives different times in our lives. There's been plenty of times I played with mine. Yes. Um, I was risking everything and didn't realize it. I didn't realize that me, who I am, is everything. That's everything for me. So when you're out here playing with your life, you're risking everything. Even if you're not conscious of, you know, that your life means anything. Yes. Because um, your life can be changed in, in, a, in, a, in a drop of a dime, you know. Um, 
for the for the good or, or or for the better, depending on what route you take, depending on the decisions you make, and you know, uh, our life is a series of events and decisions that we make. You know, um, your future depends on the decision you make today. Yes. Yes, exactly. I always use the term to, with, when I was working in prison was that um, everybody has a light at the end of the tunnel. But what it comes down to is whether you're walking toward that light or that light's walking or coming toward you. So if that light is coming toward you, I always explain that's a train. I like, the, I like and, that. And, and it's going to smash you. I like that. But if you walk in toward the light, that means that train is stopped and you're going to make it through that tunnel. But I like if, that. if, That's if, good. if it's coming toward you, you better believe you're going to get hit. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very good. And you know, and that brings me, you know, I have a, I think about time a lot. A lot of people, you know, I'm always, I'm only go, you know, uh, one thing I, I'm known for community pride, I'm out here doing different things. Um, and it also shows life can change. I didn't care about Topeka at one point in my life. Yeah. I talked bad about Topeka, you know, because I didn't like it here, you know. Um, but I wasn't making Topeka a better place. I used to be really pessimistic. You know, it's, it's hard work being positive uh, because what happens is you have to work on self first. Yes. You know, um, I got to working on myself, you know. Uh, exercise and patience, um, looking at things as the glass being half full, not being pessimistic. Cause I yes. was very pessimistic and everything. And, um, as I look at that, I was wasting time, like big time. I wrote this specifically for this podcast last night. And, um, and I'm going to say it, this is how it goes. We are on borrowed time all the time. So all the time we got is all the time we got. At any time, all the time can stop. So ain't no time to waste time. We ain't got time for that. So many people waste a lifetime and wish they had that time back. That's why I'm that's why I'm into everything. See me on every scene, podcast, newspaper, schools, and on your TV screen. Building a legacy, because greatness is my heritage. Hip hop gets a bad rap, and I'm here to change the narrative. Well, thank you. I definitely appreciate that you bring that on here and wrote it specifically for this podcast because, like you said, um, in like the creative pathways that you had on Saturday, my thing is to change the narrative. Change the narrative about black men. Change the narrative about these black boys out here and get these labels off of us. You know, get these labels... Uh, taken away from when we're when we're first born every every man no matter what race you are has a label put on them when they're first born that's it you know and that's the provider you know they already have that on their shoulders when they come out is to be a provider you know and that weight could carry if you're raised in a family with only a mother Right, you know, right, and your dad right. didn't stay around. That's a heavy weight for the oldest boy to carry, or right. for any boy to carry, because the oldest boy going to eventually move out. So that means the next boy up 
he has to be the provider for that family no matter how old he is. You know, there was just a uh, a kid committed suicide not a couple of days ago in another state. And basically he was a number one receiver. I saw that. I saw that. Uh, he was a big time receiver for, uh, and he was going to go to Georgia Tech, I believe. But they were homeless. And he used to, according to the newspapers and stuff, he would ask his, you know, in-laws and stuff or his uh, uncles and aunts about can he borrow money, you know, for his mother and his two brothers and stuff so they can have food and move to different places. And But I just worry about what happened, the weight that was on his shoulders as the man of the house, even though your mother doesn't make don't doesn't acknowledge you being the man. You are the man of that house because there is no other man in that house. No. If, so if you're 14, 15 years old, you're the man of that house. Yeah, that's um, and with me being the youngest brother, that's a burden that I never had to uh, carry. But I, you know, but I could imagine, you know, because I know my oldest brother, Sharif, you know, he was the oldest brother. We had so many, but. I heard what your brother said about you yesterday, that you you carried that well. You know, you were like that person, his mentor and everything else. So I applaud you well, for you, you, you know, doing what you've done. I mean, um, like, ever since I've, I've heard your name uh, many times, and it always comes with high regard and things like that. So I appreciate what you're doing with this Black Mentor thing i think it's a genius idea ever since you first told me that's why i was like man would you mind being at this creativity workshop and it's just been something that it was like everybody has talked about man how powerful your segment and what you did was and who you brought to the table and the signs that were held up you know thug beast dangerous all these different things so i applaud you man and Thanks for having me on this, you know, so I appreciate it. Okay. Well, listen, let me tell you, um, I appreciate you, SJ. I know your brothers. I know your sisters. I mean, I know them well. You know, we went to school. I went to Topeka High when they went to Topeka West. I, I, I felt bad for them for going to Topeka West. Right. You know? That was all, all yes. part of my dad undoing. <laughs> yes. You know. But, but, I mean, I understand where he was going. But I mean, the rivalry back then was Topeka West, Topeka right, High. So right. that's why I felt bad right, right. <laughs> because, I love because it. of the rivalry part. <laughs> right. You know what right. I'm saying? But at the same time, uh, I have I have great respect for your brothers and your sisters. I mean, great respect. And and when I came back to Kansas just a little bit over 12 years ago, uh, or in Topeka. Uh, I heard of your name, and, and at that time, I wasn't really into getting involved in stuff because I had been so involved in stuff in Mesquite, Texas, uh, running NAACP down there and different volunteer programs down there that when I came here, I wanted to lay down, right. you know. But I this black mentors thing and, and other projects like it has always been on my mind for the last 15 to 20 years. And it was more of a, people ask me why black males And my initial issue was why not? Right. You know, but 
truthfully, what it comes down to is if we're being labeled certain words and we got certain labels on us, I don't think every black male is ADD. Right. They're I not. don't. I, they're not. I mean, but the medicine is put on us too quick. Right. You I know, agree. so it, it continues throughout our lifetime. But I think there needs to be a change of narrative on that. So I come, you know, with the black mentors thing. And like I said, when I came to Topeka, uh, I heard your name a lot. And I knew the Hazim name, but I didn't know SJ. So when people say, you know, SJ, I said, no, I don't know SJ. You know, I know Hazim, right, right. but I don't know SJ. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so uh, like I said, it was a privilege meeting you. Uh, we done talked outside of this podcast several different times. Uh, and I look forward to following your career. You know, I look forward to saying, Hey, you're a brother to me, you know, uh, not look forward to it. I, I embrace the fact that you're a brother to me, you know, and everybody that I bring in this podcast is a brother to me. And that's not saying that if I don't bring you into the podcast, you're not a brother because to me, because I'm going to look at you anyway. I want, I want brothers, meaning black men to start looking at each other and humanizing us again. We tend to dehumanize each other. It's true. It's definitely true. And, um, a lot of times we feel a lot of times, um, it's more competitive than collaborative. Yes. And I understand, yeah, you can't, everybody's not supposed to like work together, like all the time. I mean, there's yes. different, you're going you're gonna to rub better with different people, whatever. That doesn't mean you can't support efforts or whatever. It just means you shouldn't tear them down. Yeah. A lot of times we run into, I don't even want to say crab in a barrel because that is used the wrong way. Yes. Because a crab in a barrel is really, to get crabs out of the barrel, yes. <laughs> you know, not bringing them back in. They're grabbing onto you so you swing it the right way and all of them can get up out of there. Yes. But what I will say is, unfortunately, um, systematically and everything else, uh, we tend to hold each other down um, sometimes if you got that type of mentality to where it's like, he's shining and I don't like it, yeah. you know, or, or whatever. Um, especially... It's that's just seems to be the trend a lot of times. So we do have to change that narrative and everything like that because, um, because it's just not healthy. It's not good. In order for us to move forward, we have to actually embrace the the fact that who we are. You know, um, yes. I'm a black man first. You know, yes. Um, now I do a whole lot of multicultural different type of things. I do a whole lot of things with all kind of different colored people, whether they're Asian, black, white, or whatever. Um, but my identity, I've, I've, I've been black my whole life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've, I've been harassed by police when I was young at different times. Um, yeah. I've, first time I heard a racial slur, or I, I won't say that first time I was called a racial slur was I was on the West side of Topeka. Um, I was around, I was around seven years old. I'm at a stop sign and I see this uh, young white man and a uh, young uh, white girl and, and, and the, the, the lady was beautiful. 
So I'm just kind of stuck in the daze and I'm staring at her, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then he said, what are you looking at, porch monkey? And yeah. slammed on the gas. I was like, I'm like, man, this guy's the man. You know, yeah. I was just kind of <laughs> looking in amazement and got called that. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew it wasn't good. Yes. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went home and I told my brother Hakeem about it and everything. And he said, you know, he said that type of stuff is going to happen. He said, but you can't. He said, you can't fight racism. You can only educate it. Yeah. And, and that was stuck with me, you know. Um, so I think that's one of the things that we're doing. We're educating it yes. and everything like that. Um, so. Okay. All right. You bring up Porch Monkey, which is, I don't I don't want to keep dragging this on, but my mother took me to, I was two years old, and she took me to uh, a doctor my doctor, physician at the time, that was, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't think it was the first time he seen me, uh, but she explained that that was the last time he seen me because I was in there crying and I, she couldn't really get me to stop crying. And she said, and basically he said, the physician said, uh, shut that monkey up. Mm. And so my mother just said, what? And he said, shut that monkey up. And she just walked out, you know. So It's uh, crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, and we don't, I don't know. um, She felt bad about that, and and she told us that story and stuff and all the different stuff that she went through. But that's for another segment, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things that happen. I mean, you know, unfortunately... Racism ain't went nowhere. No. Um, this is a this is a, a, a good first step um, for at least here as far as this podcast. I haven't heard of another podcast that is uh, strictly for this as far as the black experience with black men. Because, um, you know, being a, a young black male got a target on you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 true because um People look at us a certain way, but for what's portrayed in the media. That's why yeah. I said, you know, um, be portrayed, you know, I mean, you be portrayed guilty uh, by how the media presents you. And after that, it doesn't matter if you're ratified or whatever after after that, because the damage has already been done. You know, exactly. seeing us in handcuffs all the time or seeing this, you see a young man because, you know, sagging is a trend. And yes. what people are doing, there's people who are sagging who have 4.2 grade point averages, averages. Yes. or whatever. So mm-hmm. you can't judge from that or whatever. So it's like these labels mm-hmm. get put on us. And they get you know, heavy. They get they heavy. They get heavy, you know. So, yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah. Okay. Now, um, where can our listeners connect with you online? Um, I'm, I'm most active on Facebook, you know, S J Hazim, S J H A Z I M. Um, they can connect with me there. Um, I'm on Instagram under S J Hazim, H A Z I M. You can find Clad Astra, C L A D A S T R A. That's, uh, you know, but you can find that on my page as well. The best way you just find me on find me on Facebook. That's the best way to connect with me, truthfully. Okay. All right. And then our question of the podcast is: you know, I try to ask every guest, 
Um, if you could put up a billboard in any city, where would you put it and what would it say? Man, I put a billboard right up here in the top city, man, you know, because that's where I'm at. That's what I'm representing, and that's where I'm trying to bring change to. And um, it would say get involved. Get involved, you know, because what happens is a lot of times we'll drive by someplace and, and we might see some young men or whoever and be like, oh, that's a shame. If mm -hmm. maybe they're out there doing something they don't think they should be doing, but they drive right past them. Yeah. They don't stop. They don't get out. They don't engage. Um, people make fun of Jehovah Witnesses because they're knocking on doors whenever. they out there engaging. Yes. People talk bad about the Nation of Islam the boat with the bow tie selling bean pies and everything, but they engage They out here, yes. you know, um, get involved. I mean, cause you know, you, you talking, but not rolling your sleeves up talking about the city you live in, but ain't doing nothing for it. You're just talking about the potholes. You're talking about the, uh, the leadership and all this other type stuff. Go to a city council meeting, do this, do that. You could do a lot of different things, but complaining. Don't nobody listen to complainers. Yeah. I mean, all you. I mean, if 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 it's I'm I get frustrated from people who don't get involved but want to talk all the time, or people um, like the creativity model. Go back to that. Mm -hmm. Somebody can be inspired, then they want the connection. Yeah. They're not motivated to create nothing. They skip the two steps in between. You can't take the elevator to the top. You got to do the work. The work is in the motivation and the creation. Stop just being inspired and want the connection. And I see it all the time. You know, people that see me and now they want the connections I got. I had to put work in. I do a lot of different things. And at this point, I'm kind of closed off a yeah. lot of times because people have <clears throat> used me as a catapult. Um, for whatever it is, they feel I'm connected to some different people. So now they want favors from me, but they don't even know me. They haven't built a relationship with me. I've referred people at different times, um, early on. Um, but you don't really get to know somebody till you've actually really had interaction for time. Consistency over time builds credibility. Yeah. Consistency over time builds credibility. So, I don't give many references unless I've been dealing with you for some time because I've been burnt a lot of different times because people have put this face on or do whatever yeah. else, but they're really a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I went off into some no, that's other right. stuff. I mean, but you know, um, but what I will say is people got to do the work. Don't just be inspired and want the connection. Be inspired enough to be motivated to create something. You can okay. create whatever you want, you know, um, you just have to put the work in, roll your sleeves up, do the research, put in the man hours. You know, like I worked a night shift. I've been, I went to work last night, 11 PM. I worked till 7 AM, went home, took a shower, dropped some merch off on Forest Field to uh, my guy who owns Blue Jazz Coffee, Kevin Connick. Went to Julie's to have an 830 meeting before I was invited to be at this thing where the mayor made her announcement at 9.30. To be at this podcast, supposed to be here at 10 o'clock, made it here at 10.15, still here. Um, so I have I didn't sleep last night. Yeah. You know, I, this is my, I, I put in work, but and I go hard. And the reason is because tomorrow ain't promised. 
Time is not promised. I'm, I am cre creating the legacy of hard work. Everything I got came from hard, hard work, work. And, and dedication and sacrifice. I sacrificed my nights so I can take my daughter to school in the morning because my wife has to be at work at seven. So therefore, I work this night shift because I, I make time to be able to be where I need to be at during the day. So um, put the work in. Put the work in. Okay. All right. You said that uh, basically that was going to be the last question, but when you start talking, it just brought up something about what changed your mind from hating Topeka to loving it now? And and I asked that question so people could could realize that at one time, like you said earlier, you were in the same situation that they're in now. What transpired that made you roll up your sleeves and put the work in? I realized I was the problem. Okay. I realized I was the problem. Common my, denominator. My perception, how I was looking at things. If you're if you're really hungry and you're in this town and you're driving, the only thing you're going to be looking for is restaurants. And if you're at a place to where there's not many restaurants on that side of town or wherever you're at, you're going to be like, man, where are all the restaurants at? Or if you're fitting to run out of gas, the only thing you're going to be looking for is gas stations. Um, if and, and so it's like, what are you projecting? What are you looking for? What are you looking at? Are you only looking at what we don't have? And yes. I was only looking at what we didn't have. I was looking at, I was comparing, comparisons are the thief of joy. I was comparing Topeka to Kansas City. I'm comparing Topeka to Brooklyn, New York. I'm comparing Topeka to California. I'm comparing Topeka to all these places where there's things happening because I'm seeing these rap videos. I'm seeing the television yes. and everything. And I'm like, we don't have anything. So I was comparing it to all these other things. I wasn't thinking about getting involved. I just wanted to, it's, it's very easy to join in the negativity. If somebody's talking negative about something, it's very easy to jump in there. But it's hard to actually go in and debate that and say, you know, well, why is it so bad? You know, or anything like that. It takes courage yes. to, to do those type of things. So um, I was the problem because of the way I was looking at stuff, you know, um, I was pessimistic. The glass was half. The glass was half empty. Okay. All the way empty. <laughs> okay. So um, I had it was it it was the change in the mind state. I had to change. Uh, I had to change my thinking. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you. I uh, appreciate you coming on and everything, Hazim. And thanks for your presence. Thanks for all the stuff that you do for the city. Thanks for all the stuff that you do for your family. I appreciate that, man. Um, I'm just just uh, playing my part, you know, doing what I can do uh, while I'm here. Um, if I can do something, I always try to, you know, or I don't even want to say try to. If I can do something, I do it. Okay. You know, um, the magic is in the action. Yes. Uh, one thing, and I will say this, um, in reference to the Bible, every time Jesus created a miracle, he was interrupted. He was on the way somewhere. The action, you know, um, nothing is going to come to you haphazardly from you just sitting here complaining, talking about, oh, I need a blessing in my life. But you ain't doing anything. 
Yes. So I I believe the magic is in the action. Once you actually get the moving, you know, uh, motion and order. You know, first two laws of the universe: motion and order. You know, a man not in motion is not progressing. Yes. A man not progressing is not going to be happy. So in order for those things to happen, you got to put some motion in order. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that just means get the moving. Yeah. That means, yeah. It means <laughs> get involved. Terms. Get, get involved. Yeah. yeah, get involved. Get the moving. All right. Uh, with that closing, uh, well, that's all for today's episode of Black Mentors. A bitty, a pro- bitty, bitty, bitty. That's yep. all, folks. Yep, exactly. <laughs> a production in Voiceland Media, LLC. Thanks for listening, and thank you to S.J. Hazin for joining me today to discuss why, how, family, faith, and everything in between of giving back to your community through volunteerism will not only benefit the organization and the people you help, but you as well. Make sure you join us here every Wednesday as we ask, listen, learn, and invest in the knowledge and truths of black men from all socioeconomic backgrounds. Ask, listen, learn, and invest. I'm all in. That's what that means. Yeah. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned for a new episode every Wednesday on anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, Black Mentors, and Affirmation and Self-Image. See you next week. Bye.